0: Together with the University of Leeds, we're launching a new free-to-access online course Evaluation for Arts, Culture and Heritage, Principles and Practice. This self-guided course offers the opportunity to hear from experts, develop new approaches and build your evaluation skills and confidence. Whether you're in the early stages of your career, you're a long-term sector professional or you're a senior leader. This course is for anyone working across arts, culture and heritage, looking to learn more about evaluation. Visit culturalvalue.org.uk for more information about the course, which will be launching in September 2023. How do we make evaluation meaningful? How can we identify the right questions to ask and the most crucial information to capture? How can we give our participants valuable experiences and the space to express themselves? In 2021, the Centre for Cultural Value responded to growing industry-wide demand for support with evaluation. The result was the evaluation principles a collection of critical ideas that guide cultural sector workers through the process of evaluation. We developed the Evaluation Principles through an informed research process involving over 40 representatives from across the sector, providing a variety of roles and perspectives. It's been two years since we first launched the Evaluation Principles, so we wanted to check in. In Reflecting Value, Evaluation Principles in Practice we're talking to people in the cultural sector about the principles and how they have found using them in their work. Hi, I'm Chapley Lowry, and you're listening to Reflecting Value, a podcast from the Centre for Cultural Value. In today's episode, we're chatting about proportionality. Proportionality involves doing less and doing it better. It involves editing yourself down knowing what you need out of an evaluation and what you don't. And it also involves being selective and saying no when you might not be best placed to do an evaluation. When we started checking in with our guests about proportionality and what the evaluation principle means to them, we soon came across a running theme. It's really, really hard to be proportionate. It's hard because we don't always know where to be selective and where to step back. It's hard because we often are juggling our own interest in learning from evaluation with our need to be front-facing, fulfilling the needs of stakeholders. And it's also hard because, well, maybe we don't want to be proportionate. We're curious and creative, and so we keep on going. Emma McDowell is a postdoctoral researcher at the Centre for Cultural Value In their role for the centre, they synthesise and summarise relevant research and help make it accessible as possible to the cultural sector. They have a wealth of experience in arts marketing, and warned us ahead of time that proportionality is, for them, one of the most challenging evaluation principles. So, hi Emma. Could you tell us a bit about what proportionality means to you when it comes to evaluation?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, I'm really, really bad at it. Out of all of the evaluation principles, I was I was reflecting on this uh, with the team that like, you know, it's probably the one I struggle with the most. I suppose it's about being mindful of, of your limited resource. And I think Resources in arts and culture generally—it's time, isn't it? Like certainly working in marketing in a busy arts centre, we had about seventy-seven different shows to sell all at once, and pantomime always pantomime. It was like pantomime was just like year-round work. It's so so busy um, for for creatives and for sort of cultural management roles as well, and also of course people is a, is a huge limited resource with the, with the arts and, and and money as well. So I suppose I suppose for me proportionality in that kind of context. Is using resources effectively within evaluation practice, and I think that's definitely easier said than done, which is why I suppose it's a good evaluation principle because for me, every single evaluation or every sort of act of evaluation, I suppose that we do, it needs to take into account the context and what resources we have that are available, what our priorities are, you know what 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 we're trying to achieve as part of that evaluation. Um, so for me, proportionality is like an ongoing concern. <laughs> am I doing this in in the best way possible? Am I conducting this most effectively? But at the same time, you know, am I use, and am I using the resources in a way that um, that, uh, that enables me to 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 focus? I suppose.
0: Next, we talk to freelance evaluator Dawn Cameron. With over a decade's experience assisting clients with evaluation, Dawn has a particular interest in projects that deliver social and cultural change, enabling individuals to engage in creative practice. For Dawn, proportionality exists within the context of the evaluation we're placing it in. Are we working to the needs and demands of funders, or are we working on evaluation for ourselves, something that informs the future ways in which we put together our work?
2: I think it depends on what you re- what you mean when you talk about evaluation. so if, if evaluation is just something that you're doing to satisfy the requirements of the funder, that's one thing. Um, and in that case, the the lightest touch is going to be, you know the most straightforward and efficient way of doing it. but If you want evaluation to be part of your approach to learning and improvement and questioning, then simply doing the least allowable isn't gonna cut it. You need to go back to what you're doing and why you're doing it. Obviously you can use a theory of change um, if you want to, but you don't have to. And in understanding why you're doing what you're doing, it feels like a good idea to question what assumptions you might be bringing to a program of work. So to give an extreme example, do you really believe that engaging in a writing class once a week is going to be pivotal in getting people into secure employment? You know, what knowledge do you have of job seeking infrastructure or of the local labor market? How do you even know that people want to attend a weekly creative writing class? If you don't know that, should you find out? Maybe talk to some people. And I think once, once you know why it is you're doing what you're doing, you can then work with an evaluator um, or with colleagues to work through what it is you want to know from the evaluation process. Then, you know, you think about what might be the most appropriate methods to gather that data. In my experience, it's always gonna go beyond the lightest of touches. So light touch, I think, is fine, but simply aiming for, for having the lightest touch is not always a brilliant idea because, you know, you might end up simply just counting beans.
0: The key theme of our conversations about proportionality is funding. Practitioners and organisations often link evaluation to justification, to showing funders and stakeholders that their work has value and is worth investing in. This can bring certain pressures with it and make evaluation feel like a series of deadlines and details. How do we better understand the connection between funders and the cultural sector? and work together to avoid excessive evaluation and the burnout that comes with it. We talked to Holly Donner, Director of Strategic Learning, Insight and Influence at the Paul Hamlin Foundation, where she has worked for over a decade. Holly has an interest in how cultural organisations implement research and learning, and links being proportionate to having well-defined outcomes in mind. If we know what we want to get out of an evaluation, we can better understand our priorities as we carry it
3: out. I think in a way that's about the kind of culture of evaluation and, and what kind of culture we've built up over the years in our sector and different sectors. And I think that one of the sort of problems perhaps is almost kind of embedded in that word evaluation, which for me kind of does imply quite a sort of fits notion of value. You know, it sort of speaks to that idea of sort of weights and measures and quite a kind of financial concept of value which doesn't really fit very neatly with what the arts and cultural sector is about for for a start but also it doesn't necessarily speak to some of those more subjective ideas around the purpose of evaluation being towards learning rather than sort of proving impact or outcomes and i think in terms of proportionality where that takes you then is wanting to for me wanting to really sort of value and understand what is going on and not looking for sort of great leaps in terms of impact or outcomes that that actually are more sort of aspirational or or kind of at, at best assumptions really so i do think it's a really interesting place to start and it's often quite a kind of confused picture. So you might have small organisations or relatively discrete interventions that are trying to speak to these very sort of big ideas around impact, and really without any kind of objective sort of sense of proportionality and where they fit.
0: We're here to talk about the proportionality principle, and talk about how it can help with our working practices. But to do that, we need to talk about why we do too much. When we talked to Emma about why they found proportionality such a difficult principle, they had an interesting answer.
1: They knew they should be proportionate, but sometimes they just didn't want to take a step back. To, to make the argument for not proportionate evaluation, sometimes there are times where you want to explore and you don't really know what it is you want to know. So having some conversations with people and, and sort of being a bit exploratory and taking, a, you know, a, a deliberately disproportionate approach can also be about learning and satisfying your own curiosity which i think is really really important in evaluations um i think we aren't machines and i think to keep evaluation interesting we'll have to you know there are times when you just want to sort of like wallow about in the in the mud (laughs)
0: As we talked to our guests about proportionality, it became clear that they didn't start off their careers knowing how to measure an evaluation or understand their limits as evaluators. It was something they had to learn on the job, whether through making mistakes or reacting to events unfolding in front of them. Coming up, you'll hear Emma share a story about doing too much in an evaluation. And then Dawn will talk about a project in which she had to take a step back. There's this idea that with limited resources, we have to be selective, otherwise we're putting our energy in the wrong place. But it can also be hard to know what the wrong place is unless we've experienced that failure as well. So are there times when you've experienced that kind of failure of using an evaluation approach that has given you less than what you've put into it?
1: A hundred percent. I've made all the mistakes. Clearly, I learned things the hard way. I suppose partly because I'm really curious. So a couple of things. So I was a um, as a marketing person working in a communications marketing team for an art center. One of the first evaluations I did as part of my role was uh, we ran a comedy club, a monthly comedy club, and it was a really, a really great club, a lineup of different comedians every month. It was an opportunity from an audience development perspective to really build a campaign. It was a long running campaign. And also, of course, the the audience data coming through in terms of what was generated by our booking systems, you know, gave us information on demographics, on where people were coming from, how often, you know, they booked in terms of the frequency, how many times they came to the comedy club within a year, two, three, four, five year framework what they came to see, so we had this wealth of box office data, um, which I was like, oh, brilliant, we can do some really interesting research here on live comedy, and so I also sent out a survey as well, I knocked something up on SurveyMonkey, and uh, sent out a a survey, and everybody was very happy about this, because we, you know, the box office team, and the front of house team spoke to audiences, but I was like, maybe the communications team should also... (laughs) You know, have a chat with people that are actually going to see shows. So I did a survey, got a really great response because um, working in Harrogate, people are very engaged <laughs> with that kind of thing. So I got a really lovely survey response, quite you know, quite representative of the audiences there certainly, and found some really interesting things. And I, I was very excited um, about all the different kind of findings that that came out of that, and and how we might use it in communication. So really pleased with myself, thinking I'm going to take this to the bot you know, the higher up in the organization. Um, I, I feel like this is something that could be useful to all of the different departments. And like, you know, I worked with, they you were know, a very small team, amazing group of individuals, but I sort of realized really, really quickly that actually what I thought was interesting and useful was actually not as interesting or indeed useful for other people. And actually I've had time and again, people would say, oh, well, we kind of already knew that. Or yeah, that sort of like doesn't, you know, that doesn't, Really surprised me, or no? I don't really think that's right, actually. And I was like, yes, but seventy six percent of people said, well, yeah, but you know, I've spoken to you know our volunteer team over the years, and you know, and and I sort of came up against kind of yes, not not necessarily reticence or or kind of people not being interested because you know, as I say, the practitioners I work with, the team I work with were, you know, really sort of generous with their time and insight, and it was as I say, a small team, so we did work well. We didn't, there weren't silos. But I suppose I kind of realized, ah, yeah, this evaluation is not just because it's, you know, good or or because it kind of gives me information. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be useful to to others. So. Last night, actually,
2: I, was, um, I had a really busy day and then it ended with um, going to an opening of an exhibition for a festival that I'm evaluating just now. It's, the festival is called the Out of Many Festival. It's a festival of Jamaican arts, heritage and culture. And over the past many, many months, it's delivered a whole range of different events. sort of literature events, spoken word, poetry, theater, music, um, exhibitions, massive, really impressive project. I've worked with the program director who's brilliant to to think about what data we need to be collecting when we need to be collecting it and one of the things that we've decided to do is every launch event of which there have been many that I will do like a really quick light touch iPad survey as people are milling around an exhibition or whatever and last night's opening was um, the opening of an exhibition called for King Country and Home, which is about recognising the contribution of Jamaican service personnel during World War Two. And as I said, with all the other launches, you know, I just sort of mingle afterwards and get people to fill in this survey. It takes less than a minute. And it works really well. And it means that over time, cumulatively, you know, we've built up this data over the past nearly a year, and we can show exactly how different events are received. It's provided, despite the fact that it's really light touch feedback mechanism, it's provided much needed data. So it felt important before I got there to make sure that I'd prepared something similar for last night. Anyway, I got there and sort of listened to the, you know, the speeches and bits and pieces in advance. And, you know, it became apparent that, you know, there were people there Whose deceased fathers had been servicemen um, in the Second World War. There was somebody whose grandfather had also served in the First World War. And you know, as as the exhibition was opened and people went in to sort of mingle around, it just felt completely inappropriate to be buzzing around the place with an iPad asking people how they feel. You know, it's obvious how they feel. The the way of collecting data for that event was. To count up how many people were there, make a note of all the people that spoke, key phrases that people use that really struck me. And I listened to, they'd pulled together a really lovely Spotify playlist of songs from around that sort of era. And I looked at, I watched how people interacted with the exhibition, scribbled things down and that's it, that's plenty. So, you know, it really did not, it would have been completely inappropriate to do what um, I'd planned to do, so I didn't.
0: Across the cultural sector, our resources are different, and so are the ways we're approaching evaluation. So it's important to think about what our scope is as evaluators. We need to prioritise quality, doing what we can do well, and make sure we ask ourselves what we know about evaluation and what might be beyond our understanding. So Holly, what are the questions that people can ask themselves to determine what is useful information for their evaluation and what parts are redundant? So what questions can they ask themselves to scale their work effectively?
3: Yeah, I I generally think that in our sector particularly, we perhaps don't do enough in terms of looking at The sort of quality of what we do and in a way that's an area where you can understand it you know so you can think about okay what was it in this context that really made a difference you know why was it that that project worked so well you know what what was it about the practitioners or what was it about the context or what was it about the way we recruited, or what was it about the marketing, or what, what, you know, like really sort of interrogating what was going on and and thinking about whether you actually really know. And of course, you might come up with an answer that says, actually, we don't know why. (laughs) But you know, just spending time really sort of being thoughtful about those bits of the project that or the programme that you can really interrogate quite deeply. And none of that really is about the impact on the individuals necessarily which I think is quite difficult to know I think it kind of depends on the context that you're working in but certainly I'm sure we've all worked on projects where you know the aspiration is towards I don't know an impact on civic pride or um, an impact on the economy or an impact on happiness you know these quite big ideas which are quite difficult to really know. And I, and I think people do good work in terms of sort of looking at logic models and theories of change that can get you to some of those things. But I do tend to feel that, especially for smaller organisations, like like sitting with that interrogation of practice and process is perhaps more useful.
0: And Dawn, how do you think organisations can identify when evaluation should be done and when it shouldn't be done? And how do organisations demonstrate that the stakeholders they're responsible to or reporting to? How do they demonstrate to them that they're doing it? And what advice would you give in making the evaluation easier and more effective on organisations?
2: What's really important is to pull together some sort of research design, evaluation design at the very outset to be really, really clear about what it is, you know, everybody knows what, what funders want to know, because you've, you've written down in the funding application, we're going to deliver X, Y, and Z outputs or outcomes. So we know all that, but nine times out of 10, um, an organization's ambitions stretch beyond that, that project, because, um, as an organization, you are not just a project delivery machine you're meant to be an, an entity which itself improves and develops over time so you know you need to keep your eye on that prize and so when you I, I think that when you're designing evaluation questions it's really important that you include those sort of broader ambitions about your your organisational practice so the organisation which is delivering the out of many festival is Jamaica Society Leads, which is an entirely volunteer-led organization. Nobody gets paid. And one of the things that they wisely did, I think, was in order to help ensure the success of the project and to help refine what it was they were going to be evaluating ultimately. As part of the fundraising process for the festival, they asked me to do a, a consultation with their constituency and more widely in advance to find out whether what they fancied doing, because it was just what they fancied doing, is it something that resonates with the people that they're trying to attract? Would people be willing to pay to attend X, Y, or Z event? What sort of venues might work? Do people want events that you can bring kids to? Do they want music? Do they want performance? Are they interested in visual arts? So, you know, we were able to do all that consultation genuine consultation in advance, and a couple of focus groups as well. And that really built confidence.
0: Sometimes we can go over the top of an evaluation because we're working to expectations. We get disproportionate because we're trying to prove ourselves, justifying our existence to funders and stakeholders. How do we move past this anxiety? And what responsibilities do funder organisations have to stop this from happening? So Holly, what kind of advice would you give to organisations who are feeling anxious about hitting what they think evaluation should be rather than what's actually useful to them?
3: It comes back to that idea of, of the culture of evaluation that's built up over time, which almost says, I need this evaluation in order to prove my worth in order to be funded in the future so without without really noticing it you very quickly leaped ahead lots of different steps (laughs) towards thinking about evaluation as as a case making sort of advocacy piece that sort of fits within a funding cycle and obviously funders are kind of critical in that cycle I think if we're going to kind of break that then we have to look at a whole a whole kind of ecology approach you know because it can't just be that the organisations stop kind of positioning their evaluations towards funders, we also as funders have to say, well, what kind of burdens are we putting on people? And what are our expectations? And if those things don't happen together, then you could sort of really get out of sync, I think. But I do think that the best kind of organizations that are really kind of working well in this space, have a culture of learning within that organization that goes right through the organization. So it's not the job of an evaluator or the job of a practitioner it's much more about the reflective practice of of the organization as a whole and that that sits well alongside the ethos of the organization whatever that is and and actually the kind of outputs of that don't have to be particularly complex you know that could just be about actually every month we make time to sit down for a couple of hours and be really thoughtful about what we've learned. And, you know, we might capture that in some way. You know, it could be that simple in a way. And I think certainly for us at PHF, what what we look for is evidence of that kind of culture. You know, that's more interesting to us really than, you know, more sort of outcomes-based things. I, I guess the next stage of that though is, you know, beyond the individual organization, how do we share and learn together across organisations and I think that can be very difficult you know because that does require convening and you know engagement across a range of organisations but I do think that's a really important part of this picture because we're not we're not only learning for ourselves as practitioners or as organisations we should be giving that learning away in some way and the sort of mechanisms by which that happens can be quite you know they don't they don't necessarily come about by accident you know they ha- that has to be quite sort of intentional so I think yeah for me certainly in terms of what we would advise organizations is to think about that reflective practice and how authentic it is across the organization strategically and then what what kind of processes sit well under that and they don't need to be expensive and they don't need to be complicated and actually I think they can often sit really well with the way that artists work and that sort of sense of iterative creative practice you know I think done well the two things can work really really well together
0: Within the evaluation principles, the Centre for Cultural Value have suggested that funders should request evaluations only where they think that they will be useful. And I wonder about how you can apply this in practice as a funder, so knowing what will be useful learning for the funder and for the evaluating party at the same time.
3: I definitely think that funders generally, ourselves included, I don't think we're great at Understanding how to use reports in general, whether they're evaluation reports or or, or just kind of you know reports on funding periods, it's quite difficult to sort of get that information back out to the sector in a useful way. So I'm really interested in you know organisations that do do that well because I don't think it's that straightforward. So I think there is a responsibility on the funder to sort of try and think about you know, as we were saying, that whole process of what's the evaluation for from, from our perspective. I mean, we do help organisations. So we have an evidence and learning support scheme where we offer some organisations that we fund the, the opportunity to work with a consultant at the beginning of their funding relationship just for a few days to help them think through some of these questions and to think about what kind of methods might work for them. Because I think... it's often at that point that organizations get stuck. You know, they can do some of that basic sort of reflective practice themselves. But when they want to start thinking about, well, how do we how do we unpack that? How do we keep going with it? What kind of methods do we want to use? And how do we do that information capture without necessarily bringing in another organization? And that's proved really useful, actually, particularly for smaller organizations. So we just pay for a few days of that consultancy time. And in a way, for us, that works because it's about an investment in the culture of learning across the sector, rather than what are the sort of learning burdens or the evaluation burdens that we're putting on individual grants. The cultural
0: sector is a big place with a lot going on. And so sometimes it's important to remember that evaluators aren't just evaluators. We're all working across different projects with different specialties. So how much does proportionality start with what we choose to take on? How do we work out if we're the right person for an evaluation? And most importantly, how do we say no when we're not?
2: I remember, you know, as part of the partnership that I work in, um, we were engaged to evaluate a project which sought through engagement in a particular art form to make a measurable difference to participants' performance in what seemed to be an entirely unrelated field of endeavour. The thing was, it was an intriguing project, really intriguing, because you'd think, well, hold on, how does doing this lead to being better at that? So it was intriguing. Um, and I think that's probably why we we took it on. But in our efforts to get to the bottom of it, of how this transformational process might work, we just ended up down a bit of a rabbit hole. I'm, I'm really fortunate because I've worked as part of a partnership, so I work with Derek Armstrong. So we can talk to each other and we're very honest and candid with each other. So we were able to actually raise the question ourselves, you know, are we the right people to be doing this? Can we do a half decent job? And, you know, we completed the work, but I think we made a decision that we were just not going to take on work like that because it's no, it's no, it, it wasn't good for us. It ended up, you, like I said, we ended up down loads of rabbit holes, just having to research areas that we really weren't familiar with um, in, you know, uh, Academic disciplines that were, you know, quite foreign to us, really. So we had to, you know, it's difficult when you're part of a very, you know, we are just a partnership. There's only two of us, and in the same way that it's, it can feel difficult for organisations to refuse to bid for funding, which even when that funding is a bit outside, you know, their area of expertise, it's, you know, it can be difficult for evaluators to say no say you know where maybe not the right people or maybe you need to do a bit more work on this before it's possible to actually develop a sort of evaluation framework um and you've just got to be sort of steadfast in that but it's not easy
0: holly the proportionality principle is really revealing i think because it does demonstrate the different scales that people and organizations are operating on scope and cost for instance Will have different meanings across the sector so how does your approach and advice change for smaller organizations who are looking to adjust
3: their approach to
0: evaluation
3: you know if you look at something like for instance a multi-year city of culture program you know you've got you're starting there with lots of different partners and stakeholders you've got a number of different purposes and objectives in terms of what that's doing and what it's for you've also got lots of public money often in those programs you know so that sort of democratic principle around how do you justify public money and expenditure and I think all of that speaks to needing a sort of sense of a clear well-presented compelling evaluation and as we know there are some great examples actually of different cities that have done you know really thoughtful evaluations over over a number of years and and sort of shared that with stakeholders and have used partners and and you know those have obviously been relatively expensive pieces of work so i'm absolutely not against that kind of practice because i think it it is really necessary and also in those kind of instances you can see how You you end up with some brilliant sort of artifacts that are also really validating for the people themselves that have been involved in those programs, for for you know the general public and for the whole nature of what happens next. You know you kind of got to kind of build those those pieces of work. I think you know those are very particular contexts, and I think where you don't have those kind of contexts, where you might be a small organization, perhaps not working even in a project way, you know a project or a program might well does require a different kind of thinking to evaluation compared to I am an organization this is what I do every year how do I describe my value year on year you know these are very different modes aren't they with with very different intentions and I think uh as I said I think coming back to that sense of the sort of reflective practice that you're developing within the organization and and really spending time with that question about what it means for you you know sticking with it what why do you do evaluation for your own organization what are the layers where do the different you know the where does the board come in where does the public come in where do the people in the organization come in and I, and I think that can that can take you to some very useful places and some, some really important conversations. And certainly us as funders, we would, if we were assessing an organization at the beginning of a funding conversation, we'd be looking for pointers that, that show us that that kind of culture exists. We wouldn't necessarily be looking for lots of evaluative outputs at that stage.
0: I'm thinking about smaller organisations, particularly those that are designed and led by minoritised organisations and practitioners as well. So Dawn, how can they identify the greatest areas of potential learning when they're working in a less formal structure?
2: I think that one of the biggest challenges is that funders um, and sort of statutory sector partners, for example, sometimes feel that tiny little organizations have the capacity to deliver more than they ever could and I think again you have to be really steadfast if you're if you're you know quite a sort of minoritized organization to be really clear about what you can do and what you want to do and what you don't want to do I think I think that you know, minoritized groups sometimes get dumped with the most intractable issues. Um, where, you know, what what I'm not saying that 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 they can't tackle those issues because they often can, but that's got to go hand in hand with those larger institutions changing, changing and getting better at what they're supposed to be doing anyway.
0: Through research findings around culture and the Covid-19 pandemic, the Centre for Cultural Value called for a new regenerative practice in the sector, allowing for practitioners and organisations to move slower with time for reflection in their work. We asked our guests how this idea can be transformed into a reality and how we can start by understanding our own limits.
2: Whenever we ask and we always ask, you know, how could this have been improved? People always say more time. And there is something, yeah, you're you're right about going more slowly. I think the example that I gave earlier about Jamaica Society Leads paying for pre-fundraising consultation is, it's a really interesting model. Um, And it, as I said, you know, it sort of enhanced their confidence in what they were proposing to do, helped shape the project itself. And um, so it's actually, so what they did essentially was they built extra time in way before the project even started. And that actually saved time afterwards because it meant that, you know, once they'd successfully raised the cash, they didn't then have to start running around the place trying to find out if people were interested in what they proposed to do. You know, so I think that's one way of, if you can, of um, building in time at the very beginning, or be, even before the beginning. That's one thing you can do.
3: I, I really thought the work around, you know, sort of building a, a sector that's regenerative and, you know, good for people and planet, and people working in the sector as well as people engaging and the public. You know, I just think it's such a powerful concept and really a hopeful concept for how we get through the next few years which are obviously going to be really difficult and 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 a connected concept actually that takes us into those bigger questions around climate change and you know cost of living and all of those sort of things so yeah I think it's really interesting and I think there's there is a really interesting set of conversations to be had I think about the role of evaluation in that you know the extent to which it has been a driver of the opposite potentially you know, where it's been seen as a a tool for advocacy and, you know, what are your takeaways? You know, what are the five things that you've learned that you can pass on? You know, this very sort of reductive idea in a way. Um and pulling back from that, you know, what what's the model that would suit that regenerative future? I think it's a really interesting question and I and I certainly don't think I have the answer. Um I think but I do think Perhaps that sense of um, noticing the detail that we've talked about, that sense of sort of focusing on what you can know, um, and not being too distracted by the unknowable, feels useful. You know, being coming back to what we were saying about authenticity and, uh, you know, and vulnerability. I think you know that 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 sort of sense of if you're going to do learning well then you have to be quite vulnerable don't you because you have to sort of talk about failure and difficult things and you know why perhaps you weren't you know the things didn't happen that you expected and that creating the conditions to be vulnerable i think is not straightforward you know that that doesn't just come through clicking of the fingers so so how so i think maybe there's something in that around what we've talked about how do you how do you create the conditions the vulnerability, the conditions for learning and not have, you know, and if you're doing the work on that and sort of building those structures and convening spaces that can allow that to happen, <laughs> not then being sort of blindsided by, oh, but that's all very well, but actually, you know, I'm just about to do this piece of work for a funder and they want social return on investment and it's all going to have to go. So Emma,
0: are there practical ways for organizations to rethink their evaluation model to go slower in a way that works
1: I 100% am behind this idea that um I think it links back to our earlier conversation about doing less better um I think if we can build in time uh within our organizations and our cultural practice to slow down um I think um that's great I Honestly, I think it's something that, um, you know, there's a lot of amazing thinkers and writers um who um talk a lot about how urgency is a, a white supremacist um kind of uh practice and and you know obviously capitalism and um Building in um, a sense of kind of needing to grow, needing to do more, uh, do more faster, do you know, do more better. Often, often means do more faster, be more productive, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, um, I think probably one of, I mean, this is a really tricky, um, a tricky area, but I think we have to go slower in order to unpick the ableism and the racism and the sexism and the um, all of the different types of prejudice that are baked into the very structures in which we work. And I think evaluation is weirdly, <laughs> it's going off on like, you know, about capitalism, white supremacy. But I feel like evaluation is exactly the kind of time. So what is evaluation? It's essentially... Um, articulating and communicating I suppose value right and that is a deeply ideological political process and consequently um, I think that um, how we go about doing that within our professional practice how we uh, treat one another how we um, value the work of one another or not what voices are included in conversations? who's evaluating? Um, you know it's a it's I would say quite you know, um, in many ways can be seen as a very sort of business practice and at the exclusion of of a, a range of different voices who perhaps might be more critical. So I feel like um it it's about sustainability certainly, um, but it's also about a critical practice. and um the only way to include, A range of voices or people that perhaps have not had a say in how your organization is run Um, the only way to include those those marginalized underrepresented voices is to slow the heck down you've been listening to reflecting
0: value a podcast from the center for cultural value today's episode featured dawn cameron holly donner and emma mcdowell If you'd like to get the latest updates from the Centre for Cultural Value, you can sign up for our newsletter at culturalvalue.org.uk forward slash sign up. I'm Chuck Blue Lowry. Thanks for listening.